Hi, I'm Lisa Weaver, and this is Healing Jephthah's Daughters, the podcast. Patriarchy was something that I wrestled with for a little while and had to kind of deprogram myself because it was a bit of, you know, honestly brainwashing to, to some extent. So I had to deprogram myself from this, the man's word is right because he is anointed of God. Well, you know what? I'm anointed of God too. And God speaks to me just as clearly. Today's focus text is Judges 11, verse 34b. And there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and with dancing. I want to talk a little bit today about customs, expectations, obedience, and obligation. Going forward, we will refer to Jephthah's daughter as JD. Last week, Professor Norton helped us contextualize Mizpah in JD's story. Let's revisit that conversation where Professor Norton explains the cultural expectations that J.D. and her father would have known. All right, so we've got Mizpah. My other question is the second half of verse 34. There was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and with dancing. Can you tell us about the expectations of women after men return from war? Well, so this is why... I kind of feel like I don't mess with Jephthah. <laughs> like, I don't mess with Jephthah because when he made the vow, he knew it had to be his daughter. Mm, okay. Okay. When men go out to war, it is always the women in their household who come out to greet them when they come back. So, of course, the first person you would see when you came back was your daughter. So you made a vow that very clearly, very logically meant that you knew you were offering up your own daughter. What J.D. had come to know as normal, what she had come to know as expected behaviors for her were informed by her culture. When we consider culture, we are addressing the symbols language, norms, and values of an individual or of a community. Additionally, we need to understand how one can be formed at the intersection of multiple cultures. Professor Kimberly Crenshaw, lawyer, civil rights advocate, and critical race theorist, developed the concept of intersectionality. Her work is instrumental in understanding the ways in which racism and sexism and other isms overlap to create, quote, multiple levels of social injustice. I want to use Crenshaw's model as a way to explain how multiple cultures inform how children and adults understand and internalize expectations. Many years ago, I began to use the term intersectionality to deal with the fact that many of our social justice problems like racism and sexism are often overlapping, creating multiple levels of social injustice. Now, the experience that gave rise to intersectionality was my chance encounter with a woman named Emma de Graffenried. 
Emma DeGraffen-Reed was an African-American woman, a working wife, and a mother. I actually read about Emma's story from the pages of a legal opinion written by a judge who had dismissed Emma's claim of race and gender discrimination against a local car manufacturing plant. Emma, like so many African-American women, sought better employment for her family and for others. She wanted to create a better life for her children and for her family. But she applied for a job, and she was not hired, and she believed that she was not hired because she was a black woman. Now, the judge in question dismissed Emma's suit. And the argument for dismissing the suit was that the employer did hire African Americans and the employer hired women. The real problem, though, that the judge was not willing to acknowledge was what Emma was actually trying to say. That the African Americans that were hired, usually for industrial jobs, maintenance jobs, were all men. And the women that were hired, usually for secretarial or or front office work, were all white. Only if the court was able to see how these policies came together would he be able to see the double discrimination that Emma de Graffenried was facing. Now, as a student of anti-discrimination law, as a feminist, as an anti-racist, I was struck by this case, it, it, it felt to me like injustice squared. So it occurred to me, maybe a, a simple analogy to an intersection might allow judges to better see Emma's dilemma. So if we think about this intersection, the roads to the intersection would be the way that the workforce was structured by race and by gender. So what do you call being impacted by multiple forces and then abandon to fend for yourself? Intersectionality seemed to do it for me. We are all formed by multiple cultures. Your family of origin is a familial culture. There are norms and behaviors and beliefs that are particular to individual families. Your ethnic heritage situates you within a particular cultural context with particular norms, behaviors, and beliefs. Your religious affiliation. Professions have particular cultures. Musicians have particular cultures. People with differing abilities have particular cultures. What other cultures can you think of that inform and shape your beliefs, your behaviors, that shape the beliefs of others? because there are many. I was one that grew up in the church. Like I was practically born on the altar. I didn't know anything else growing up, uh, but church, it just so happened that my mother gave her life to God when she was pregnant with me. So um, church became, and she was a single parent because my, my father actually left while she was pregnant with me. So. When I came into the world, you know, she had formed a village within a a particular ministry in New York and they became our extended family so that when she needed help, you know, everyone would kind of jump in and and play a part in, in supporting her. 
So church was very much a part of my life and I was a part of an apostolic church. So we were in church all the time, all day Sunday, you know, you had revival during the week, you know, so church was very much a part of who I am and the type of church that I went to, they were very adamant about biblical knowledge. So even from a child, we would have these Bible reading contests and, you know, so on and so forth to ensure that we were really filled with the word. But um, it was also a legalistic culture. Um, So for most of my adulthood, I operated in this very uh, devoted Christian legalistic type of way. And I hope it doesn't sound like a, a significantly bad thing. While there was much that I appreciated uh, about the church, um, it was definitely more good than bad. But in terms of probably the, the negative impact, uh, I would say the, the legalism. Um, but certainly the, the faith that I uh, was able to establish there uh, has kept me, you know, through my adult life. The norms of each of these cultures converge or intersect in an individual's life to inform and shape what they come to understand is their responsibility, obligation, their duty to perform. These expectations become internalized and become a way of living and being in the world. They become a lens through which one views and understands the world. So, J.D. coming out to meet him, Jephthah, with timbrels and dancing was an expectation that she was formed in. And she did what the culture, her family, her community expected her to do, seemingly without question. And so this week, I want us to consider ways in which we feel obligated to do certain things. I often challenge people in ministry settings, even in teaching, I have to do this and I have to do that. And my question to them is often, who told you that? And that's where the work begins. inviting us this week to interrogate how we show up and why we show up the way we do and what we believe. Beliefs and behaviors often form a child's understanding of expectations and obedience. I want to invite you to consider the beliefs and behaviors you've carried over from childhood, where you learn them, the extent to which you live those out and to ask yourself, are they serving you well now? A few parting questions. What were the cultures in which you were formed? If I were to think about my own context, As an African-American woman, I was born 
as an only child to parents who later divorced. I was raised in the North, in New York, and formed in a Black Baptist conservative context. So that's my context. Those are the cultures that intersect. And the beliefs of each of those contexts don't always agree. So I've had to interrogate what I believe and my behaviors and the way I've shown up and where the conflicts were. Another question for you to consider, what expectations did they teach you? What did you learn you were supposed to do? What you were supposed to say? What you were supposed to believe? How you were supposed to respond? How do those behaviors and beliefs show up in your life today? And do they serve you well? So one of the things that I experienced culturally as a Black woman was definitely the patriarchy. Because growing up, there was a particular position that a Black woman was supposed to take, and that was one of subservience. You know, even in the church, all the the male ministers were kind of the leaders and at the forefront. And the women, even though we did the majority of the work, even though they did those that were older than me, um, that kind of carried the torch, um, they did most of the heavy lifting. You know, it was the men that we had to submit to. The men were like the ultimate authority, whatever, particularly our pastor said. It was the, the gospel truth. And he say jump and we say how high. And thankfully, you know, he was a man of integrity. So to some degree, it wasn't as devastating as another opportunity or another church that I was a part of there. You know, that kind of patriarchal structure was in place. He was very much an authoritarian and he didn't have integrity. So that went an entirely different direction but for me today as a black woman I am sure to stand flat-footed you know and stand in tall understanding that I am called of God and and having enough um having a close enough, enough relationship with God for myself that I can stand in the call and do what it is that God has called me to do but certainly the the patriarchy was something that I wrestled with for a little while and had to kind of deprogram myself because it was a bit of, you know, honestly brainwashing to, to some extent. So I had to deprogram myself from this, the man's word is right because he is anointed of God. Well, you know what? I'm anointed of God too. And God speaks to me just as clearly. Think on these things and we'll see you next week. My prayer for you today and always is freedom, healing, and wholeness.